The scripture for today's sermon comes from Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. The word of God speaks to us. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. This is the word of God to us. Well, good morning. My name is Chad Puckett. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it is a, a treat. It is a, a good thing. It is a blessing in my life to gather on a Sunday. It's a, a treat. As a father, I have three daughters, and I get to celebrate with them. I'm thankful for them, but I'm also thankful for the church gathered. It's a regular rhythm of my life, and it's a grace of God that we get to do it. And that actually points us to what we're doing this summer. Last week, we started this Rhythms of Grace series, and we're trying to set our gaze on this good and loving God who's given us things to do for our good. Maybe you grew up in an environment in which the term uh, spiritual disciplines was used a lot. And it was like, these are the spiritual disciplines. These are the things that you do. And there's nothing wrong with that term. For me, it turns it into a list. And sometimes I would just be like, okay, I've got to do these things and then I'm good. And that, that's just not the way that we want to think about it. So much of our, our thinking is shaped by just the world around us. We live in a, a society in which we earn things. We try to do things. And, and we just want to reframe all of that for this summer and for our good, to think of it as God has given us things as grace in our life to help us follow after him. Okay, so uh, one recommendation I have for you is if you weren't here last week, if this is your first week with us or you just happen to not be here, go back and listen to uh, just us unpack Psalm 37 as an introduction to this. The second thing is if you're looking for something to read this summer, I, I, I could recommend to you one that's been really helpful for us in thinking through this is You Are What You Love. That's the name of the book, You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. And let me just give you a sample. Here's how James K.A. Smith frames this up for us. He, say, he says, the heart is like a multifunctional desire device. It's part engine and part homing beacon. Operating under the hood of our, our, our consciousness, so to speak, our, our default autopilot. The longings of the heart both point us in the direction of a kingdom and propel us toward it. And so as we, as we think about it, we need to recognize that we're not just thinking things. We're also feeling things. We're led by those things. And the question is, that comes out of uh, this, is, is where are our desires propelling us? To what kingdom are our desires propelling us? And so I want to pray for you as we dive into this. I want you to pray for me as, as we go through this. And, and the big prayer that I pray all the time is like, God, help us to not just be religious people going through the motions. It, it help us to be people who are experiencing the love of the Father through the work of Jesus the Son by the help of the Holy Spirit today. Father, we need you. 
We need you at work. We need to experience the love of the father who leaves the porch to run after his kids. We need to experience you as the perfect and loving father in all the ways in which I feel inadequate as a father. We need, we need you to help us understand it's all through Jesus today. It's all through Jesus. And so, God, fight all the temptation to just go through religious motions, to sit up straight and, and try to polish up our lives, to perform for one another, or even worse, to try to perform for you. God, help us. Help us to know your grace. Holy Spirit, come. Help us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we dive into it, we're in Psalm 19. We're going to walk through some of these things. I, I just want you to know, just uh, to illustrate some of this, like there's some ways in which we fall into traps. I, I've been thinking a lot this week as we, we tackle this around a rhythm of grace for us is reading the Bible, reading the Bible. And, and I just want you to know that that filled me with fear this week. It filled me with fear for a number of reasons. It filled me with fear because, like, we, we just see we're, sh we're chasing shortcuts. So often I find myself chasing shortcuts or the opposite of just trying to muscle my way through it. I read, I read two things this week. One was about doctors developing a pill. Uh, it's called the exercise pill. That you just have to take this pill and then you're going to be all super swole and, and super big in life. And it's just a pill. Like the, the problem that all of us have been facing has been solved, right? We have a pill. We have a shortcut for buffness. And it's all right there for it. The opposite is true as well. I read another article about one of those like world's strongest man competitions. And maybe you've seen this on television, but it was talking to this guy who's like just a crazy mountain of a human being. And he competes in all these things. And, and like, so I'm reading an article. I did not compete in any of these myself. Like, like I'm reading this article about it. And you know, maybe you've seen it. It's like, hey, pull a plane and you can win this competition. Or throw a mule across the, the field. Or some, some crazy stupid things. But one of the things that they always do is that they pick up these boulders, and then they have to carry them all over the place. And so they get these boulders, and then they walk off like this. And, and those two pictures made me think, I'm doing this as long as I can, people. Like, those two pictures made me think of us having a talk about read your Bible more. Because sometimes we come to it in the exact same way. We come to it either looking for the pill that makes it all super easy and everything's, everything just like, oh, it just happens. I downloaded all the information I know, and I can just get it like that. Like, we look for the shortcut. We look for the easy pill of faith that just works it all out super easy in our life. Or we go the opposite extreme, and we just try to muscle our way through it and see, like, God, look at all the hard things I'm doing for you. And, and all of that is not healthy or helpful. I want to be really careful when we talk through reading our Bible and, and, and that this is actually for your good and a rhythm of grace. I want to be careful because, like, for a lot of us, just even talking about it, just brings up guilt and shame. It, it reminds us of spots where we're like, we just feel like we fall short all the time. And for others, it might be that you grew up in a really strict religious background in which you had to read this much and do this much all the time, and you had to keep up with this list, and you got rewarded for it, you got praised for it, or you got stickers for it. And, and again, those things might not have been bad, and they may have been coming from the best spot, but for us, for, if you're like me, it can tune your heart into performing. 
And if you don't perform, then you feel something. You feel like, man, I guess, I, I guess I'm not it. Some of us might be in here and thinking like, and I don't, I don't read the Bible because there's some things I think God's going to talk about that I just don't want to hear. I, I want to avoid that. I'd rather not know those things. And sometimes we shortcut this, right? We, we say things like, oh, it's dumb, or it's, it, it's like, that, that stuff is dumb and outdated, or, or it's confusing, and I, I don't get all of it that's in there, and so it's just confusing, it, it, or it's outdated or irrelevant. And I, I bring all that up because at some point or another in, in, in my following after Jesus, I've felt every one of those things. More often than I really would like to admit. And I want you to know that you're not alone, that we're not trying to stack up things for you to do. There's no easy button at the end of this, but there's also no, no boulder for you to carry out. You're not alone in this. In fact, the author of the second most popular book of all time, the book Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, actually had this to say about God's word. Hear this. I've sometimes seen more in a line of the Bible than I could well tell how to stand under. But catch where he goes. And yet at another time, the whole Bible hath been to me as dry as a stick. Man, that's just being real. There are times where it's difficult to understand. There's times where it is confusing. There are places in this that are hard to understand, and yet it is all for our good. And so this morning, we're looking at the Bible as grace from God for our growth and reading it as a rhythm for our good. My hope is that we see God's word as a gift given for life, given to help us flourish, giving us, given for us to grow. And so we're going to walk through Psalm 19 to get there, to see it. Uh, in one small microcosm to see God's good gift in it. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. Verse 1 of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Now catch that, like the heavens, the stars, day to day, night to night, reveals all that. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. The sun comes out like a bridegroom, like pursuing his bride. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Just catch this. And I, I can almost feel the tension in the room of like, Chad, that's super confusing, just like you just named all of those pieces. I thought we were talking about the Bible, and all of a sudden we're talking about the heavens and the stars and everything right there with it. All of that is really confusing. Just catch what's being said. The psalmist starts Psalm 19 with this cosmic thing, which he says is a declaration 
It's a revelation. It's declaring the stars, the heavens, the moon, even the, the circuit it travels from day to day is declaring the glory of God over all of it, over every bit of it. And then he's going to move directly to the word of God. And we're going to ask ourselves why here in a second. But I want you to know that it's not unusual because if you go to Genesis 1 and you're in Genesis 1 and you're reading that, it's like, hey, God set up the heavens and the expanse, the, the water and, and the earth. He set up all of it and then he just kept going. It's like so matter of fact in Genesis 1. It's just like right there. Why? Because there's more to be done. There's more happening. There are bigger revelations. Why does the psalmist start with the cosmic as declaring the glory of God and then moves directly into the actual written revealed word of God because it is bigger and better than even the heavens, the sun, and the stars. It's bigger it reveals even more. It's even more glorious than the cosmic declaration of God. What we get here is even bigger. All of it declares the glory of God. Every bit of it. And so notice, I want you to notice where the text continues. It's going to give us, in those verses that were already read by Carol, as we walk through this, it's going to give us six things, six characteristics of God's word and six byproducts that come from it. Six, six great like, results from the word of God that we're going to walk through. So pick it up with me in verse 7. The law of the Lord. That's how it describes this written word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And so here's the attribute of the word of God. It is perfect. It's described as the law. Why is it described as the law? Because the same one who set the sun and the stars, the same one who put them on their axis and put them in motion, the same one is the one who tells us how to live. It's his word that rules. It's his law that is given. And it is perfect. It's perfect. That's how it's described. It's not lacking. It's not missing details. It's not like withholding anything. It's perfect. It's never lacking what is needed to address our moment. It's never lacking. And notice what it says. It revives. It's reviving the soul. That word revives. It's like the, the chest compression for those who, who are not making it. Those who are not making it. It's this spiritual chest compression, reviving the soul. It is refreshing and renewing, recharging and bringing back our soul into feeling states. It's bringing it all back. It leads us right back to those good pleasures of God that are far beyond everything else that could distract. And catch it, catch what comes next. The second thing is the testimony of the Lord is sure. So it's been described as the law of, of the God's word is law, and the testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. You see, this isn't just words on a page. This is the testimony, the declaration of this God, this king above all kings. This is his word to us. And it's sure. It's certain. Now, that might be hard. 
And if you're here and you're in the room and you're saying, I'm not even sure I believe any of this. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not even clear how I, if I believe in this Jesus or in this God or what's said in this book. And I hear you. Like We're, we're glad you're here. We're not going to try to twist your arm or, or force you into anything off that stuff. But I do want you to hear this. Like God's word, this whole Bible is a testimony of who he is. And we, you might come to a line on a page in a chapter and say, like, man, that feels weird. But remember, it's not just one line or one word. It's this whole thing from page one to the last page, which is a testimony of who he is. Sure and certain. A testimony to his character. A testimony to what he has given us and it's making wise the simple it's true in principle and it's verifiable in life you might read this here on this page and say did that really happen and what you see over the long form is yes this God who promises things is the same God who keeps his word he shows himself to be true and sure the the Bible brings wisdom to the simple and guidance to the naive And it's the person who is saturated in this world, who's soaking in it, who finds their life changed. It's interesting because I read that quote from John Bunyan, uh, who is like, man, sometimes it feels as dry as a stick. But here's how John Bunyan was described by another pastor, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon described Bunyan as why this man, this John Bunyan is a living Bible. He said, prick him, like cut him anywhere and his blood bleeds bibbling. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. That's how John Bunyan was described. And John Bunyan is the same as like, God, I don't understand this sometimes. But he sat in it. He soaked in it. He was so saturated that it became part of who he was. It was a rhythm of his life, a rhythm of grace from God. His testimony is sure and true. Notice what the third thing says. We get to verse 8, and it, it says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. See, the precepts are those things God is calling us to. These are the things that God is prescribing, those pieces where he's saying, like, walk these things out. Those are right, is what we're told here in Psalm 19. Those are right, and here's the fruit of it. It rejoices the heart. Remember, we're not just just fact-based people. We're, We're more than just what we know. We're more than just what we know. Again, I, I, I want to be a healthy person, but I love cheeseburgers. We're more than what we know. We're actually informed by our hearts. And this tells us that what God is calling to you actually rejoices your heart. It, it leads to flourishing. We rely on it to give us truth. We rely on it to point us back to life, to lead us to hope and fulfillment and lead us away from all those things that would mess with us. In an argument with my desires, God will always win. In an argument with what I'm feeling, God's word is true and right. 
It's like if, if my car's been in the shop for a few weeks, and if they were, they were to tell me, like, hey, you should really change your oil. And I'm like, no, man, I really love my oil as it is. I really love it. I think we could all hopefully know that's not going to work out for me in the long run, is it? Like, my desires sometimes come at odds with what the Word of God says. My desires want to go another direction. And guess what? In that moment, my desires are wrong because God's Word is right. That's sometimes hard to believe. Certainly hard to live out, but it's a rhythm that we're trying to walk out for our good. It's a rhythm of grace for my anxious heart, for my fearful heart, for my sinful heart. It's a rhythm of grace. And if your heart is hard, if your heart is cold, if you find yourself neck deep in sin, like stop and sit with God's word. There are other things to, to do as well, but this is a rhythm for your life, for your good. Notice this fourth thing that comes up. It's in the same verse, in verse eight. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. It's pure. It's clean. There's nothing else defiling it. The commandments of God are actually without blemish in any way. And then it says, here's the fruit of it. It's enlightening the eyes. Which is a really interesting phrase for us. We don't talk about enlightening like we talk about a lamp. Of like, that lamp enlightens our house. No, we talk about it less in terms of wattage and more in terms of wisdom. Enlightened, that person's been enlightened. There's an, like that, that helps us to see, to understand uh, things that are not seen with the eyes. And the, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. It's the job of the Holy Spirit. And I love this because it, it isn't just that these things are for your good. It's that God himself, the Holy Spirit is actually there at work for us, enlightening our understanding, enlightening our eyes. One pastor Put it this way. It's really helpful for me this week. I hope it's helpful for you. John Piper says it this way. God has ordained that the eye-opening work of his spirit always be combined with the mind-informing work of his word. And so, friends, like, hear that. Like, if we're just going to sit back and close our Bible and say, Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, guide me. We miss out what he's given us. We miss this gift that he's given us. His aim is that we see the glory of his son and that we would be changed. Friends, where would we see that? Where would we see it? And so he opens our eyes when we are looking at the son the work of the Spirit and the work of his word always go together in God's way of true spiritual revelation. They go together. God gave us his word and he sends his spirit at work to help us to understand, to help us to enlighten our eyes as we read, as we look around us, as we see this world. And yet Psalm 19 goes on. Here's the fifth one. Notice what it says. We get this right here. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear, that, that reverence, 
The Bible uses that word fear in this context as, as reverence, as a right understanding of his place and my place. He is holy, I am not. He is almighty, and I am not. And so there's a right understanding of where I stand in relation to the living God. The fear of the Lord is clean. Again, there's nothing that messes that up. Enduring forever. There's no impurity. There's nothing corrupted by sin in that. There's there's actually a holiness that is found in recognizing his place and recognizing my place. And that endures forever. Forever. And then finally, this last attribute that we see of the word of God that is given to us for our good. This last one, it says, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And and hear that. Earlier it said the precepts. The precepts being those things that you're being called into, those places where it's like, go, love those around you, go do this, pray without ceasing. Those things that you're being called to are right. These things right here, the, the rules of the Lord are true. The rules being those things that he's saying, hey, watch out for those. Stay away from that. Guard your path and don't step into these areas. Those are true. And those are righteous all together. Man, what God says in his word is never false or off the mark. The guesswork is gone. The certainty of God's word is our foundation. And regularly feasting on God's word is objectively, without a doubt, a good thing. It rewards you with restoration of your soul. It's wisdom for your walk. It's joy for your heart. It's enlightenment for your eyes. It's truth that you can count on. And it is all that you need for living rightly. But catch this. That's not where the psalmist stops. Those things are objectively true and they speak to our hearts. We've seen six things that are about God's word. And we've seen six things that come from his word. And we could walk away and and, and pass the test, so to speak, on that. But that's not where the psalmist leads. Because it's as if God knows what we need and how we're wired. Because notice where it goes. All of these things are objectively true to our head. But they are also delights for our longing heart. And so pick it up with me in verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold. The word of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the law of the Lord, the rules of the Lord, the fear of the Lord are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. You see, it's better than a huge bank account. It's better than a fully stocked retirement plan. The word of God is the best security for your life. It's the best thing going. And while your heart may long and desire for things or other stuff, there is nothing that compares to him and his word in your life. 
There's no truer and greater gift that you've been given. It's sweet, too. It isn't just like, oh, good, you've got enough stuff now right here in this. No, it's actually sweet. It's sweeter than, than the tastiest of treat. I love ice cream. It's sweeter than ice cream. It's sweeter than anything that you could have in your life. The Bible even, the psalmist earlier even says, he says, satisfies, this God satisfies us with the richest of foods. satisfies us. He is all those things. There's also for those who would pay attention to God's word, there's a warning and there's a reward. It warns us of dangers ahead. It warns us of, of what running our lives off the rail or according to our own ways does to us. There are warnings and then it points us to real life where we find ourselves flourishing and actually really living. And so the point of everything that we're walking through is that this word of God is less a tool to figure out how to actually operate. It's more of a feast given for us to fill up and be nourished. Where else, where else am I going to find the character of God? Where else am I going to find out that this one who has a hard thing to say on this page actually enables and helps us to walk that out throughout all of it? Where am I going to find out that this one who promises these crazy things to forgive our sin, to actually bring hope to hopelessness, to life, to those who feel dead, where else am I going to find that he actually keeps his promise? He does this. Where else am I going to find an answer to all the areas of my life where I fall short? To the fact that while I was a sinner, this Jesus died for my sins. And that in every other area of my life, in every other way I've tried to make up for that sin, and I know in my gut that it all falls short, where else am I going to find an answer to that? But right here. And so, friends, as we wrap up, as we, as we kind of stop this today, I want to just give you a, a four things to think about real quickly in terms of how to actually walk out this rhythm of grace. Maybe you came from a background that was like, okay, we're going to read all this in a year. And that's fantastic. I try to read the Bible through in a year. I, I try to do that. But I, I often find myself falling short. And maybe you have as well. Or maybe you've had the verse pack and we're like going to memorize all these verses or, or, or certain ways of going about this. And, and so we're, we're not trying to heap up things on you right here. We're actually talking in terms of rhythm and feasting. Rhythms and feasting in which we walk this out. So how do we do these things? There's no, there's no magic pill. There's no download. There, there's nothing that's just you, you simply step into and say, well, there it is. I've got all that now, and there's no big rock for you to carry out of here today. There is a way of thinking differently about it and engaging it with our hearts. Engaging it with our hearts. So here's the first thing I'm going to throw out. Start small. 
Don't just say, I'm going to read the whole thing this month. Start small. Small could be, I'm just going to set out and I'm going to read the Gospel of John. It, it, it could be, I'm going to read one proverb a day. 31 of those, we're going to read through it over the course of a month. One proverb a day. Start small. Think big in that. Think big. Like, keep notes. Write, write down those questions that you have as you come to them. You don't have to read a ton all at the same time. Just like, just start small. If you were going to go run a marathon and you'd never done that, I, I would encourage you not to start that day. Listen, the Bible is a big book. There's a lot going on there and stuff. Don't try to ingest it all at once. Start small. Write down your questions. But don't leave them as questions. Don't leave them as questions. And then just tell someone in your life what you're reading. Talk it out loud. Okay, so that's the first one. Start small. Think big. Write your questions down and talk to someone about it. Pretty straightforward stuff right there. But, but we read, the second thing I would say is, is that read for breadth, the, the, the big picture of the Bible. When, when you're reading this, try to set up, uh, like we're regularly doing this. I'm starting small, but I'm doing it regularly. We're reading for breadth. So don't just say, I'm just going to read James 100 times. Like, we're actually, James is part of something larger, right? It's part of this larger story of the Bible. It's sort of part of this larger narrative of this. And so read for the larger story in this whole thing. But study for depth. Dive into those questions. Where it's a great indicator of, like, this is a spot I need to study. Is like, man, I don't know how this works with that. Just, just start there. Ask for help. Ask for help. There are people around that can help you with that. That can help you that have had those questions before. That have wrestled with those questions. If you think that you're coming with a brand new question in the 2,000 plus years of Christianity. And you're the first person to have that question. I am sorry to inform you that that's probably not true. Probably not true. Most of these questions, if not every one of these questions have been asked. And and someone has thought deeply about these things. And so we, we want to help you with all those things. So read for breadth and then study for depth. And if you don't know where to start or you don't know what that looks like, let us help you. Let us help you with that. There's lots of people to help you with that. The, the third thing is when you sit down alone, and I hope you would, sit down with a Bible. If you need a Bible, we will get you a Bible. We have them right here, and we will put that in your hands free of charge. We will help you with that. Uh, it, but when you sit down with that Bible, and you, you're going to come to a point, if you, if you haven't already got there, where you're like, I'm just alone in the room, and I'm not the brightest of bulbs, and so none of this makes sense. Remember, you're not actually alone. The Holy Spirit's job is to open your eyes and to help you understand this. And so we start small. We read for breath. And, and study for depth. Remember, you're not alone in this. The Holy Spirit is at work to open your eyes and to help you with that. To help you with those things. Help you. God's given you community around you to help you with those, those things. And then my final thing, my fourth simple like framework of how to think about this, less, uh, less of a to-do list and more of a mental framework, is think of snacking and feasting. 
There are times where we stop and we feast, right? There are big meals in our lives. We had one the other night with a, a good group of people, and it was a gift. It was like a three-hour dinner, and it was awesome. It was awesome for my soul. It was such a good time. I ate way too much food, and I left there with not just my tummy full, but like my heart was full, right? There, there's those moments with God's word in which we're feasting on this, and which we truly are feasting. But I also want you to recognize there's goodness and beauty in snacking. And we need both of those. We need both of those. And so don't feel like, okay, I've got to sit down for an hour right now. I've got to sit down and just do all that stuff. That's not realistic for the long haul. That's not realistic for you to just start right there. Start thinking about throughout your day, man, I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to read a few lines. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read a chapter. I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to sit with this. And then I'm going to walk away and I've got, to, I've got something to do. I've got to mow my lawn or do something. And I'm just going to let that soak. That's why the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Friends, friends. We come to God's word as a rhythm of grace, as a gift for us, as something given for our good. Don't leave it on the shelf. Someone smart said, it's, it's bread to be eaten daily, not cake to be eaten once in a while. Come to God's word as a rhythm of grace and hear these words from Charles Spurgeon as we stop and we think about what to do with this. Pastor Charles Spurgeon says this, oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the word of God and get the word into ourselves. As I've seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so ought we to do with the word of the Lord. Not crawl over its service, but eat right into it till we have taken it into our inmost parts. It's idle merely to let the eye glance over the words or to recollect the poetical expressions or the historic facts. But it's blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in scriptural language and your very style is fashioned upon scripture models and what is better still, your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord. Will you pray with me?